today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Very controversial story uh, from, well, some people consider classic children's author. For many of us and for many of our children, well, this was part of the growing up experience. Sam I am. That Sam I am. That Sam I am. I do not like that Sam I am. Do you like green eggs and ham? I do not like them, Sam I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Well, a lot of people don't like Dr. Seuss now either. Uh, very controversial uh, move by uh, some folks the other day. Well, some are calling it censorship, uh, but a number of books, uh, six uh, Dr. Seuss titles uh, containing what they say is racist imagery and uh, messaging uh, are being taken away, blanked, uh, you know, poof, gone. Uh, not everybody agrees with this. Others are saying it doesn't go far enough. And it's it's actually just, a, I guess, the latest example in an ongoing uh, effort, I think, from an awful lot of people to uh, look at the past and, and look at where we are now. And, and, you know, we've had this debate on the show so many times. Are, are we guilty of applying today's standards to 100 years ago or 50 years ago? Uh, but there's an interesting uh, essay that was done that I think gives some perspective to this, and I'm so glad that the author could join us today. She's Dr. Monica Eileen Patterson, Associate Professor in the Institute of Interdisciplinary Studies and an Associate Director of Curatal Studies in the Institute for Comparative Study of Literature, Art, Culture at Carleton University. Uh, and uh, she joins us on the program to talk about this. Monica, thank you so much for the time. I'm glad you could be with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Well, we've had, as I mentioned in my preamble, an awful lot of discussion about this, about, you know, what statues should be taken down, what books should be taken down. I mean, you know, when I was a child way back when, uh, you know, Mark Twain, Huckleberry Hinn, Huckleberry in Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, all these sorts of things, they were almost required reading. Uh, they've fallen by the wayside now because of uh, some of the inferences. Uh, just about everybody, I guess, at some time or another has, has studied English and English lit. And uh, To Kill a Mockingbird was standard for just about all of them, and that's come under uh, stricter, uh, I guess, introspection now because of this going. Now, Dr. Seuss, uh, how do you respond to what you're seeing here? Well, I think it's really important to respond to the, the specific facts of the change that has been implemented. So in a lot of the coverage of this controversy, um, things have been sensationalized and there's been a lot of kind of sloppy interpretation that makes a claim that all of Dr. Seuss has been banned or censored. Uh, the reality is actually much more specific. Um, so as you mentioned, this isn't his entire corpus of work. It's six titles, uh, many of which, you know, most people have never heard of. These are pretty obscure titles. Um, the other fact that I think it's important to remember is that these books aren't being burned or destroyed it's the publishing company uh, who's decided that they'll no longer continue to print them. Um, so that's, that's kind of a much lesser action to have taken. And then the third point that I think has been a focus of a lot of distortion is that this action is imagined to be driven by outsiders, um, you know, leftist critics, uh, social justice warriors. And in fact, the decision was made by, um, you know, the entity that is as close to Dr. Seuss himself as you could get. It's the family estate, Dr. Seuss Enterprises, uh, and they're tasked with trying to preserve and promote the legacy of Dr. Seuss. So this is 
uh, his people who have made this decision, and it wasn't a decision that they took lightly or made quickly. They did, uh, they did this as part of a very common process that happens in publishing to reassess, you know, the print runs of different publications. And they did it with the input of, you know, a committee of experts, including educators, parents, um, librarians. So this was really a, a well thought out decision that when you look at the specifics is is not nearly as um, as shocking or total totalizing as a lot of the coverage would suggest. And, and as you said in the piece, and this is what I found interesting about about your piece, uh, you, you gave us this perspective. It's, this is what archivists do as a rule anyway. Uh, there's always uh, a, a reassessment of, of the materials, of what's going to be displayed, what's going to be presented to the public in one way, shape, or form. This, this happens on, pretty much on a, a consistent basis, doesn't it? Yes, and it, it does that because new material is always being produced. So whether you're a historical archives, whether you're a publishing house, whether you're an art gallery, there's a tremendous amount of new um, text, new art, new objects, new records that are coming into existence on a daily basis. And, you know, shifts have to be made to accommodate some of that new material as well. Uh, and, and that's the archival aspect of this as well. But we're putting, or, or was the family, I guess, when they were making this decision, were they applying this to a moral standard to this? Or was this just, a, the, 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 as you say, the progressive nature of the, of the reassessment that goes on every now and then with the body of work? Well, I wasn't there for any of those conversations. Um, you know, they released a public statement, and that always only gives you a glimpse into what may have happened behind the scenes. Um, you know, in their own words, they said that they were, they felt that the books um, were hurtful to, to different communities. So um, they see that as something that is not part of the legacy that they're trying to promote. Um, and, I think that we just have to take them at their word on that. But when any reassessment is going on of, of a body of work, or as you say, a display, it could be a museum, any number of other things, and you point some examples out in, in the piece, uh, what, what are the standards? Is it simply, well, that's been around for a while, let's move on to something else, or are there, is there a, a, a series of boxes that you check to say, well, maybe this isn't relevant anymore, or maybe it's, as you say, could be you know, deemed to be hurtful as opposed to the way it was being perceived back in the day when it was published? Yeah, I think there's lots of different factors that go into these decisions. Um, you know, in addition to being a, a family estate, this, this entity, Dr. Seuss Enterprises, is also a children's entertainment uh, business, right? So they are interested also in their profit margins. Uh, I would suspect that they found sales were way down on these six titles. Um, but I think that they were also responding to some pretty sustained calls uh, for decades now uh, from a variety of people, especially um, parents, educators, and librarians, who have objected to some of the specific images and texts. Uh, so that it sounds like they finally um, really took that seriously and made some evaluations. And I think one of the things that... Um, became quite apparent to me when I first started learning about this controversy is 
you know, as a scholar, I immediately wanted to see the actual images and texts in question. And I think that many of the people who are concerned about cancel culture and censorship might not have actually seen what's at stake. When you look at some of these images, um, they're, they're extremely problematic. They reproduce uh, very racist caricatures that are dehumanizing, um, that put down different groups, particularly Asians and Africans. And I think that there's really no place in, in society today for children to encounter these images uh, just in their daily lives as a form of education or leisure. Um, as, I, as I described in my article, I do think that they still have some value as important historical texts that can help provide insights into the histories of racism. But I think they need to be uh, recontextualized and handled very carefully. And that's that's a very valid point. I, I think it's something that gets lost oftentimes uh, when you see some people's uh, you know visceral reaction to this. You know that hey, this is censorship, and don't erase history, and that's you know that's part of who we are. And uh, and, and they're simply saying, look, if you do that, then you're just trying to turn a blind eye and pretend some of the stuff that uh, that was included in this or some of the other books that we've talked about never really happened. Well, they did happen. Uh, and I, I guess the phrase that comes to mind is, if we don't learn from that history, we're going to repeat it. So where do you find that balance? Well, I think that the balance has to come first, an honest reckoning um, and uh, a reassessment that does not uh, reproduce the privileging of white perspectives, right? So a lot of people invoke this imagined we, and, you know, this is a, an attack on our tradition. Well, who are the people who feel represented by these images? Um, and, you know, you have to consider if, if racist caricatures are so central to one's culture that they must continue to be a part of what children consume. We're talking about very young children mm-hmm. uh, who, are, who are the main readers of Dr. Seuss. Um, without any change or new additions that better reflect our current times and aspirational future, then, you know, what kind of a culture is that? And why is it worth preserving? Uh, I think that material that can hurt and harm is better placed into new contexts in, in museums and in books on racism where it belongs. But I don't think it needs to be kept in circulation. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the audience is going to be a key factor in this too. Children cannot, they can't discern between this is historically uh, wrong and the young mind like that is not going to be able to make that sort of a value judgment. So I, I can understand that. But, you know, when you get into adult situations and, and you mentioned, you know, about statues being replaced and, and things of this nature, uh, there's, it's very polarizing. You're either for it or against it. You either say, yeah, let's get this stuff out of here or, you know, that's part of the history and we have to, you know, continue to, to respect the, those people or those statements, etc. But we do have a responsibility, don't we, to, to reassess uh, just as, as, as you mentioned, uh, you know, if you're working in a museum, uh, the curating process, I mean, should we not be doing that with, with, with other things as well, not just with statues, but with literature and other pieces of work that have gone before us? Yes, absolutely. And I think when we do these reassessments and we have these conversations, it's really crucial that we pay attention to who's participating in the conversations. Because so often what happens is members of um, you know, the historically privileged, uh, dominant 
society, uh, like myself as a white person, are speaking in ways that aren't listening to people of color and the objections that they're making. So I think that it's crucial that any conversation about these reassessments um, not only includes, but actually centers the voices of the people who are most affected by the harmful material. Rather than assume, they must be offended by this, uh, therefore I must react and, and do something about it. Yeah. It, 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 comes, it comes down to dialogue, really, doesn't it? Yes, I think so. Uh, interesting piece, uh, and, and, and like I say, it, 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 because this argument is not going to go away. I mean, this Dr. Seuss was the latest example. There will be others, I'm sure. Uh, I, you know, even some of the movies from the 40s and 50s that uh, portray people of color in, in I, I think, poor uh fashion is, are actually being edited some of them are just being taken away from uh collections on some of the, the networks that run movies now so and and i don't think that's a bad thing i think we have to reassess that because I, as you say uh you don't want to pretend it never happened but at the same time we have to show that we have progressed and and i think this is part of the process however difficult it might be for some people absolutely and uh you know as you suggest these reassessments can be a wonderful opportunity for deepening our knowledge and understanding and empathy, but that kind of work can't be done if people are having um, uninformed knee-jerk reactions uh, that insist on clinging to an unchanged past um, without actually looking at the texts in question and having conversations with the people who feel hurt by them. Uh, well, as I say at the beginning of our conversation, I thought your piece was very good at putting this thing in perspective and, and giving a different uh, angle towards this whole discussion and debate. Doctor, thank you so much for the time today. I really enjoyed our time together. Thank you. So did Ta I. Take care. Dr. Monica Eileen Patterson from uh, uh, Carleton University. Interesting stuff about where you draw the line. And it's as I say, it's going to happen again, whether it's going to be a novel, a movie, whatever the case might be. Uh, things were different back in those days, and, and, and there has to be a reevaluation, of course, uh, with, with well, whether it's Dr. Seuss. And by the way, I just got a bunch of emails from people. I, people are getting too sensitive. It was the family of Dr. Seuss that did this. There was no public outcry uh, for this. This was done internally. So that's the perspective you need to take on that one, too. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.